This is the Power of Genetics podcast. In each episode, I'll be interviewing successful practitioners and impactful thought leaders in the world of health and performance. They will share their journey, their insights, and their best advice for us all. I'm your host, Dr. Yael Jaffe. Let's begin with today's episode. Welcome, everyone, to our next episode of the Power of Genetics podcast. I have a very, very special guest, Dr. Valentini Konstadidou from Athens, Greece. Yes, our first European guest on the Power of Genetics podcast. Of course, we don't count England because of Brexit. So really, this is Mediterranean Europe and a really big and warm welcome, Valentini. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's very, very nice. It's an honor to be here with you. It's very nice to talk with you and to be a host in, in your podcast. I'm Valentini, yes. I'm a Mediterranean uh, guest, I guess. Absolutely. So everyone can hear your beautiful accent. And um, I am going to be asking you to introduce yourself. I always say, like, let's just start off with where you are now. So your degrees, because um, there have been a few along the way. Um, and then um, what company you have now. Then once you've introduced who you are now and, and this year, let's go back right to the beginning when we start understanding how you landed up where you are now. So if you could just tell us a little bit about what your qualifications are, who you are, mention your company, and then we'll start and we'll go back to the beginning. Okay, so let's start from 2023. I am now back in Greece. I am Greek. Uh, I was uh, born and raised in Athens. And now 2023, I'm back in Athens where I'm running my own company, DNA Nutri Coach, after almost uh, 20 years that I have been living in Spain. And I started in Spain back in uh, 2001 which was uh, by coincidence back then, I didn't know it, I, I knew it a little bit later, but 20, uh, 2001 was the year that DNA was actually uh, decoded for the first time, we had the first publications. I had no idea back then that I was about to end up <laughs> looking at my genes, but uh, that was the first year that I moved from Greece to Spain to actually study the antioxidant effect of extra virgin olive oil in the frame of our Mediterranean diet. Because back then I was a student of food technology and nutrition, and I wanted to understand what makes extra virgin olive oil such an enormous gift for our health. So one of the main groups, the most famous groups in, in Europe, studying uh, antioxidant effects of extra virgin olive oil was back in Barcelona, in Spain. So I had a, um, um, a fellowship and I moved in Spain. And that was the beginning. That was the beginning. Because, exactly. That was the beginning of all because after I finished my first degree, I moved to Spain again to start my master, to start my PhD, to continue with my postdoc in several laboratories in Spain and in stages in other countries, and ending up um, having a second bachelor degree, that of nutritionist and dietitian. So I can actually 
perform and execute and deliver all this knowledge that has been accumulating during the last 20 years into clinical practice. So in okay. fact, I am a nutritionist today, but that was my last degree. It was your last degree. And I know that because when you and I were together in South Africa five, six years ago, you were not a nutritionist dietitian and we spoke exactly. about it. So I want exactly. to, I want to, I, I think it's so important because you are many things. Uh, you're an <laughs> academic um, and a scientist uh, with, with fantastic publications around the genetics and virgin olive oil. I mean, that's, I had a symposium in South Africa, invited you as a guest speaker, and it was really because of your deep expertise and knowledge around the genetics of, of olive oil and phenolic, and it was amazing. So you're an academic and a scientist. Then you are a health coach. So I want to talk about this. I'm just telling everyone so we know what to go back to, right? Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about why you did health coaching, all right? And then when we met... You were like, I need to also become a nutritionist dietitian because even though I have a PhD and I am a certified, board certified health coach, I still am not able to be able to update. And you went off and got another degree. So you accumulate degrees like I accumulate olive oil in my cupboard, really. <laughs> so, I wanted, so it's a great story, you know. And now we say like this podcast is for people who are sitting and going, like, I don't know what direction for my life to take. I don't know how what to study to have impact. And you've, you've had an incredible journey and multiple degrees to try to get you to the point where you are able to offer dietary advice based on genetics and nutrition. So let's go back to the beginning because you have so much to teach us. Why in the beginning did you study food technology and nutrition? What was your first reason for being interested in this field okay first of all it was biology i was excited and i was intrigued with with the biology of human body so i always liked food also and i was born and raised in athens in greece i had very very um not common but very very useful and every day and every familiarized with extra virgin olive oil, with Mediterranean diet, with nutrition in general. So it was something very normal for me. So when I chose uh, this school, it was not my first option. It was my third, if I can recall correctly. The first one was biology. The second was chemistry. And the third was food technology and nutrition. So by the time I entered that school, I had no idea what I wanted to do. No idea. And I think this is something that I always say until now to my students, to clients, to people that I coach, that what you, you what you're studying today by no means will define what you will be doing in 10 years time or 20 years time or 30 years time. By no means. I mean, this is the first rule. Could not agree with you what more. Yeah, <laughs> what I was always trying to actually have in mind is I'm happy with what I'm learning. I am okay. Is that enough for me? And if it's not enough, what else would, would I like to learn? And that kept me, uh, no, that not that kept me. Back then, it was that 
feeling that drove me and brought me into research. Because there was a, back then one professor that told me, why don't you go abroad? And why don't you make a fellowship or try to make a short stage, like three months or six months? Try to see what they are doing out there in the laboratories in extra virgin olive oil. And that was the light. That was the first push. Because I understood back then and I saw that research is actually something that you can actually do, uh, work on, actually make a living. It's not a theory like it was in the books. For me, eh? for me back then in 1996, 1997. So by the how can I be a researcher? And this is a huge misunderstanding about research and development, maybe academic research, that once you are doing that, you will not be able to do anything else, which is a huge mistake, number two, maybe. On the one hand, I understand it because you need to be 100% there, devoted always thinking about the problem and the next problem and the solution. So you cannot think of any other options that you can actually be doing. So in one part, I understand that you have to be 100% devoted. But on the other hand, when I reached about all these publications and the research and the academic career and everything, and I realized that I could do more. And this more was not available at that time, at that setting for me, that was the, the trigger that keeps me thinking, what else should I learn? What else should I do? What else I like to learn and to perform and to, and to, and to produce? And this is when they came the idea that, okay, it's not only academia, I can be an entrepreneur. I can have my own practice. I can do something else, whatever. Okay, so that was the first trigger. That <laughs> pinpoint a, a, a huge proof that was, I had no idea what to do, how to do anything else rather than research. No idea. No idea how the market was working. No idea what marketing about I had no idea how to sell something how to sell myself how to sell my knowledge zero so I was like disappointed frustrating frustrated something like a mixed emotions or something like I have been studying all my life I have accumulated all those degrees and now I want to sell myself and I have zero knowledge because nobody and under no circumstances, in all these degrees, academic career, somebody told you that what you know is far more <laughs> beyond from the minimum or the medium knowledge of people. And actually, people need that knowledge that you have. So you can actually sell it. And this is big for, for my colleagues, for professors, for every time we, we debate about this issue. There are, of course, now, 20 years later, there are a lot of changes, at least in Greece and in Spain and in Europe that I am, have been moving them the majority of my life. In US or in England, maybe 
there are more um, other categories or other states. But here, in, in Greece and in Spain, uh, this kind of mentality has not been mixed until very, very recently. So either you are academic, either you are a researcher, full-time, hands-on, laboratory, or if you are in the market, you cannot do both. However, the gap, and especially in my field of expertise in genetics, was there, connecting what's going on in the market and what's going on in the lab. What do we actually know about genetics, about nutrition, and what actually people are doing out there? So that was the next light opening, mind-blowing uh, reminder, trigger, I don't know how to call it, that actually told me that there is a need out there. People are doing genetic tests or are doing diets, are doing things, are following their taking care of their health or well-being in the wrong way. Because there is nobody who actually explains what they are doing wrong, what they are doing right, what they should be doing, giving them direction. Nutritionists, dietitians, that they are already out there. They had no specific training and they had no knowledge about genetics. The geneticists that were in the hospitals or their medical doctors had no idea about nutrition. Okay? Or nutrigenetics. Yeah. Or nutrigenetics. Even, even more, even more, even more. Nutrigenetics. Yeah. Let's start from the basics. Yeah. So who actually had this responsibility to um, inform people what it is? That was marketing. So there were lots of companies I mean, I'm talking about 2014, 15, something like that, that they were starting to developing uh, solutions, programs of genetics, nutrigenetics, but having no idea how to apply them, how to put them in a menu, in a nutritional recommendation, no idea. So there was like a gap. So there were coming people, I remember I was back then in, in Barcelona, and they were coming in the institute that I was working in the lab in the laboratory in Madrid also, and and they were asking, okay, I have done this analysis, but what does it mean? <laughs> what is it? <laughs> what should I eat? I should stop eating? And it was like, who beep <laughs> told you that? H how did you come up with this idea? So this is where I start realizing that. I want to do more, I want to offer more, I want to go out there and teach people and show them. And this is how I realized that I wanted to leave academia and hardcore, hands-on laboratory work and actually try to sell all this knowledge to fill the gap, to mine the gap that it was existing between uh, actually research and, and appliance, of, appliance of this research. Uh, and I funded DNA NutriCoach. It was in 2015 in Barcelona. And the first thing that I realized is that all these degrees that you are selling, what we are talking all, over and over again, uh, in the market had zero um, rights. I mean, I couldn't be a professional, a health professional, 
because I didn't have a degree. My first degree of food technology and nutrition was not considered a health professional degree. Yeah. So you had no clinical degree, no practice. Clinical degree, exactly. Yeah. This no is clinical the degree. definition. Exactly. Yeah. So in order to be actually able to, to have a practice, I needed to have a medical degree or another health professional degree, which is the closest to mine was a nutrition dietitian. Yeah. Okay? yeah. That was the closest. Uh, although at that point I was teaching in the university. I know you were <laughs> teaching the nutritionists exactly. about genetics. Yeah. But I couldn't. But be you couldn't a practice yourself. Yeah. It yeah. was a little bit of the legislation, which was the same also in uh, Greece and in Spain. So I was like, okay, I cannot be, I cannot have all these degrees as the first, the master, the, the PhD, the postdoc, the, the publications. I am teaching them. But I cannot perform. I cannot actually have the right to open in the market. And I said, okay, never mind. Don't worry. However, uh, I need to learn more. And I need to do all this. Because for me, for my mind, all these degrees after that point uh, were part of a business plan. Were part of a, actually an execution to be those people understand the science and apply it in their kitchen, in their supermarket, do it without fancy words and without actually fancy menus and things like that. No, 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 just do it. So <laughs> I just want to, you said something there. So all the degrees afterwards were part of the business plan. So you knew yeah. what you wanted to do in terms of executing your business. And you needed that no. clinical degree to, to be able to execute the, the business you wanted. Okay. Exactly. I didn't know 100%. That's what I was interrupting you before. That even in that point, I couldn't be able to see 100% clear that this is what I want to do. I was just driven by this willingness that this is not fair. And maybe this is one of the core, um, if I can say, I don't know, values that always drive me. If this is fair and this, if there is justice in that. And I was noticing that there was no justice and there was no fair, that it was not fair for the people, for the actual general public, not to know what nutrigenetics can offer. And even going one step back, not to actually know what nutritional science can offer, which mm. for me, it was like the basic, but I was realizing that general public had zero idea mm. or not zero, one. One, all the wrong idea. All the wrong idea, exactly. So the degrees after that was two, was the health coaching and the nutrition dietitian. In fact, I realized that my last degree, I was 40 years old that I took my last degree. And I was like, okay, I should be start saying that to people who are complaining at their 25 or 26 that I have so many degrees and I don't know what to do or I don't have an idea. My last degree was at 40. And it was one of five of my degrees. My last degree was 43. You see? So we're yeah. two of us. And yeah. I'm definitely yeah. positive there are more people who are... Lifelong learning. 
driven yeah. by this willingness that I actually want to learn more. And it's okay. It's better than okay. I actually always say that. In fact, I interviewed someone else in a podcast the other day who was what we call a second career dietitian, which is actually what you are as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I made a, a comment and and when talking to him said that the best dietitians, and we, I, I use the word dietitian, nutritionist dietitians that I ever come across in my work and my life are second career dietitians because they spend the first part of their career understanding what they want to be, who they want to be, and how they want to impact people. And then they go and get the dietetics degree. And I, you know, I did architecture first and then landed up in, in dietetics and then landed up in genetics. Maybe I was like a, a third, third career, but I always say, you know, that when you study other degrees, you bring a depth of knowledge and life experience to actually, whether it's marketing you studied or architecture or art design, uh, doesn't matter. Like you bring a depth to to dietetics that others don't have. And and I was as I was listening to you, I was having a, a smiling a little bit because you and I did our degrees absolutely opposite way. So I started off architecture, then I went became a dietitian, was really unhappy as a dietitian, went on to study genetics and my PhD, and then nutrigenomics. And you went the other way. You started with the academia, and then finished with the dietetics. But we kind of landed up in the same place. But again, my last degree, I only finished at 43. And it was a lifelong journey of, 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 of learning that you cannot bypass, you cannot take a shortcut. Totally, right? totally. I couldn't agree more. Exactly. And this is one of the, allow me to say problems of the dietitian career right now. And I'm trying to pick up with that and influence as much as I can, both in Spain and in Greece, that the four years career of nutrition dietitian does not give them all they need to know. Maybe we need to change, I don't know, the the classes or the, the lessons or everything, but you are a health professional. You need to know about coaching. You need to know about psychology. You need to know about genetics. We cannot talk about grams and calories and, and macronutrients. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people can actually learn all this stuff in internet by themselves. They don't need us. They need us to teach them more. So yeah. maybe that's why I am noticing this huge uh, gap. Also, well, more in nutrigenetics and nutrigenomics because they have no idea about basic biology, DNA, genetic knowledge. And not and enough biochemistry. <laughs> exactly. And they, and they couldn't know it because their four years career is focused in totally outdated material. Well, I was going to ask you what your experience of dietetics was, but I think you just gave it to me. So it doesn't sound like. It's any and different I'm also, in Europe than I'm it is also, in America. I'm also trying to, to change that in the from the level of the profession of the professor at, at the teaching, but it's not so easy. No, it's in not. In Spain, we have more progress in that field. In Greece, not so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is this is a pity for me. It's it's very very frustrating that they are still coming out people that they want to offer, they want to 
to do more stuff. They are willing to learn. They love nutrition. But they need to go on and study more and study yeah. different careers and do a master and maybe do a PhD to be able to actually deliver all the knowledge in the people. Yeah, and I think that's that where we're seeing the same globally, actually. I don't think it's it's Greece, Spain, America, South Africa. I think dietitians are coming out of their profession. And I always say, like, it doesn't matter what you studied. You then need to start learning when you start, when your degree is done. That's when the learning, especially in genetics. So in the 30 years I've been a dietitian and the 22 years in genetics, I haven't seen a, a big change. The only difference is instead of having like zero teaching of genetics, maybe they have one hour in a whole degree now on nutrigenetics. But I, I still see, you know, we know that at least half of everything we are in health is genetics, and yet we get one hour in a whole, a whole degree. So I haven't seen it being driven by um, universities. Um, I haven't even seen it being driven by um, clinical uh, health professional associations. And so what I would say is that, you know, I always, I see you like a one woman show, you know, like you um, have, and that's why I wanted to speak to you today. And this is why I respect you so much is that you have single handedly been the driver of nutrigenomics for Mediterranean Europe for years and years and years. You are this singular voice and there are many great academics in Mediterranean Europe publishing some amazing work. They're in the Institute, you know, the International Society for Nutrigenomics and Nutrigenetics and yet they're all in academia and you're the only one in Mediterranean Europe with a voice, the only one. And over the years, I've watched you go stronger and stronger and your voice get louder and, you know, but you're still a single voice. I don't know if this is unfortunate or if it's the system. I don't know, but it's hard. Eh? I have to confess, it's really hard. So, so talk, tell me what is the hardest part? So, I, I mean, I think when I look at you, I, I see a very lonely, hard journey, but amazing what you've done. Um, I probably have the same in South Africa now in America. I have more, more wonderful, wonderful colleagues around me. But tell me what has been the hardest part about your journey of the last decade, two decades, in in be, being this force kind of driving it forward. Look, the the first aha moment was when I realized the the huge gap that exists and that there was no one else to actually do it. And the majority of people wouldn't leave academia to do it. That was the first one. So it was like, okay, here there is a need. I can do it, and I will. But the, the harsh part and the difficult part is that by start doing it, by saying no to academia, uh, you are just getting out of it. It's like... You are not with us now. You are a stranger. You are market. You want to sell. Yeah. So this is like a mentality. Is depending on the person and depending on the people and the circles that you are moving, is not always good. There are a lot of academics that they do not consider it good to be able to go out and deliver and sell. Yes, of course, nothing is for free. You have to sell. So there is like a. I don't know, it's precocious or I, I, I don't know how to call it, but 
some people do not see it in a, in a positive way. This is the first one. The second one is that I couldn't raise money like extra funds or super big funds. I start having clients before I even have any investors, which meant that I am growing organically. Mm. It's not like there is a startup that you actually raise funds and you go very, very scale up and then you sell and you go to the market and blah, blah, blah. No, for me, it's a lifestyle. For me, it's a journey. It's a, it's a, it's a healthy life purpose. So that means that very, very, very easy. It is very, very easy for somebody to actually copy you. And you cannot actually protect what you are doing because you are going growing organically and not very, very quickly, quickly. not like yeah. scale up. So you give the knowledge for free, I might say, to everybody who have money to copy you. And this has been done. Of course, it's happened to me as well. Yeah, it happens to all of us. Of course. And from, for one hand, it's like, I like it because you say that, okay, I'm the first one. So I'm innovative. So you copy from me, of course. There's not, nothing else to copy. So in one sense. On the other sense, if, if you're thinking it business-wise and marketing-wise, you're losing money because somebody else can actually go bigger than you without yeah. the scientific expertise that you are trying to actually offer. Yeah. By the time I learned and I understand that this is how the, the game is played. And at the bottom line, what actually matters are your clients, that they are coming back, that they are talking about you, that they are recommending you. The voice is like the one that you, that your voice right now that are saying all these good things about me. So it means that there's something there that actually lights and you see it. And bottom line are the people. I think it are the people. It is very harsh to be <laughs> and trying to, to spread the news, you know, yeah. because nobody... Nobody. Very few people. For example, in Greece now, I have been back the last few years. I, I opened my office here in 2020 after the first uh, COVID uh, uh, guarantee. So I'm trying to find those very, very few colleagues uh, that they have a PhD, that they have been related and involved in research, that they have more academic knowledge. So we can actually have the same we are in the same page there are very few very few i would say very if you're looking for that you probably will be looking for a very long time i think you're yes. you're setting your expectations there's there's only a handful. i mean I, I say this you know that there's a handful of us in the world who've got phd rd genetics so i think um my experience just to share with you is that um I don't look for PhDs. <laughs> okay. I think it's unnecessary personally. Um, and I work with an extraordinary group of clinicians, mostly our uh, dietitian, nutrition clinicians, who have gone on through mentorship and working with me to become absolute global experts in nutrigenomics. And in fact, clinically are way better than I am now. 
So, so I don't think everyone needs a PhD. I, I think PhDs are very narrow and focused and targeted and they give you great, you know, research skills and you're very good at writing and reading articles. But actually, they don't, they're not necessarily the same person who's wonderful working with others and helping them make behavioral changes and get them. So I long time ago stopped looking for PhDs and looked for um clinical health professionals who were hungry to learn more about genetics and who did the work both in functional nutrition and in, in in genetics and have gone on to be incredibly amazing clinical translation experts and i think that would be my one piece of advice to you is there is only one of you and then you won't find another valentini and you it, it's not necessary actually because it's, it's, it's the skills that make a PhD aren't the same skills that make a great clinician uh, working with patients. You are uh, an inner one. You are unique. So um, I really, you know, I work with, I, I now have surrounded by extraordinary colleagues who, again, when it comes to working with patients, translating genetics, I think have surpassed me in expertise. And I think that's what we ultimately that's what we ultimately want. Exactly. No, I'm I have started some seminars to actually teach and train uh, the ones that they are interested in. Yes, I have started that. I was mentioning, you are totally right with this about the PhD. My, in my mind, that was a differentiation point in the sense that there are people, there are clinicians, there are dietitians who actually know a little bit more about Genetics, maybe, biology, maybe, biochemistry, maybe, a little bit more. A little bit more, I agree. If, yeah. you, if you have a PhD, at least you have studied something more. So in yeah. that sense, I was looking for these people. Mm. My uh, colleagues right now, the people that I uh, collaborate here in Greece, they are not PhD. And they are nutritionists, they are uh, physicians, they are different categories. However, they are few. They are few. And these, they are few. And there are lots of also people, there are a lot of resistance to actually uh, take the next step and try to study a little bit more, um, do the hard work a little bit, not just copy paste. This is also another problem, another challenge that I'm facing. So yeah. I'm not sure if we need to push them or not. I mean, if somebody doesn't want to learn or just- No, if they don't to want to learn, I mean, I don't I, I, I do not do that anymore. I don't exactly. try and do that anymore. I, I, exactly. But I think the USA is easier. There are so many wonderful clinicians who are looking to learn. I think it's a different environment, um, different environment from, from Europe. But Valentini, we, we're going to run out of time. So I want to, I want to finish off by- um, if you, let's, let's finish off with this question. If you have, what would your advice be to someone who is starting out, be it in their first degree, who has an interest in nutrition, interest in genetics, interest in health, interest in helping people, what would be your advice to them? Uh, never stop learning. Number one, whatever. I mean, I wish I had learned marketing and yeah. web design and I don't know, social media. Never stop learning. Uh, don't ever disappoint in the sense that uh, I cannot do it. 
you can do whatever you like, whatever you like, as long as you define what you like. Because I think this is the hard part. We do not define what we like. Yeah. Nobody teaches from an early stage. And this is where the coaching has helped me. And the skills that I have learned by my training, be a coach, and now as a practitioner, I think this is the main issue of a lot of people in all categories. That we do not realize early enough what we like. And we say that I teach, I will be a doctor or a lawyer or a mechanical or whatever, but I don't know what I do like in law school, what I do like in med school. What what is I like in nutrition? I like the part of the health. If I can provide you with more health through extra virgin olive oil, I like it. If I can provide you with more health by reading your genes, I like it. I don't mind the way as long as I provide you with more health. I like that. As so long you as will find the way. I mean, you will find the way if you if you define what you like yeah. in your profession, you will find the way how to deliver it. Because Agreed. there are always lots of ways. Lots of ways. Lots of ways to walk the journey. And you know, as I say, you don't you don't know. You don't know where it's gonna take you. And that comes back to lifelong learning. Just keep learning and moving forward and you will find your way. And um, no, fantastic. Valentini, it has been so lovely connecting with you after all these years and hearing about your journey. I have absolutely no, no doubt in my mind that you will continue to fight the fight in Mediterranean Europe and be the strong voice. And I hope many will join you um, and, and keep this alive. Um, but if not, we're here for you in America uh, to support you in, in, in any way that we can. Thank you very much. The pleasure was all mine. It's always a pleasure to see you and talk with you. Uh, I'm totally positive that we will continue doing that. And we will meet again, Cape Town, US, Greece, Spain. Greece, that would be lovely. <laughs> Spain, both of those you, would be lovely. <laughs> you know that you have the open door here. Thank you, Valentin. Thank you for listening to the Power of Genetics podcast brought to you by 3x4 Genetics. For more episodes, please visit 3x4genetics.com backslash podcasts.